2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, talking about this transformation that takes place. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's the promise from the old life to the new life. But in the New Testament, there, there's this paradox in becoming a Christian. There is a death in your life, and there is a resurrection, meaning there's an old life, and there is a new life. The old you, when you become a Christian, dies. The old way, the old man, the old flesh, the old way of thinking, the old way of living, it dies, it goes away, and the new life is raised. We see this throughout the entire New Testament. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I believe I have a slide for it, but Galatians 2.20 says, Paul's talking about this. He says, for I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I, now, life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul talks about, I have been crucified with Christ. There was a death. The old Saul, the old Paul, the old Pharisee, he was dead. And now Paul is alive in Christ with the gospel. He, he is a, a new creation. Everything changed in Paul's life. Everything changes in your life and in my life when we become a Christian. It transforms everything about us. When you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's huge. It's huge. It's a life-changing moment in your life. Because the way that you're going to live after you become a Christian is not the way you lived before you became a Christian. And I love Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 17. But uh, this is really a commentary on 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's what the, the message of Colossians 3 is. I want to break it down for you. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the theme is raised to life. It's the fact. Paul's going to present to us the fact that you have been, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been raised to life. And then verses 5 through 11, he's going to talk about the old life that we leave behind, that old dead man that we leave behind. And then verses 12 through 17, the new life we embrace. The new life we embrace. So let's, die, let's look at this in three different sections. Let's look at verses uh, 1 through 4. And I call this portion of Scripture raised to new life. Look at verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When you become a Christian, a resurrection takes place. A new life. A new heart. You, my friend, are no longer the center of, the, of your universe. Jesus is. Jesus is. The, Christ, the Christian walk is not about us per se, but it's about Christ in us. It's about us magnifying Christ, us serving him. And, and you are no longer the center 
of your world, Jesus Christ is. He is on the throne. You step down off the throne, and he, and he is placed on the throne. And in verse 2, he says, set your mind on things above. What's he talking about here? Setting your mind on things above. Well, he's not talking about some quasi-weird spiritual experience where you're sitting in a corner like Buddha, meditating on your navel, waiting for nirvana. That's not what he's talking about here when it says set your mind on things above. In other words, think spiritually. What he's talking about here is living with an eternal perspective. Living with an eternal perspective. In your mind, you understand that after this life, life doesn't end at death, but there's an eternity. And you want to live for the one who died and rose again. And you want to make the eternal things, you want to bring them into your world and think. Your thoughts are, your thoughts are no longer, how can I please my flesh? But how can I please Christ? I believe that's what, that's what that verse says in the beginning of uh, verse 2 where he says, set your mind on things above. Then he says here, he says in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, he's not, when he says don't set, your, don't, set, don't set your mind on things of the earth. He's not talking about your life. He's not talking about family. He's not talking about your responsibilities. He's not talking about those things that we must take care of in life. I believe what he's talking about here is sin. So he's talking about sin, and, and he's talking about repentance. You know, repentance is a turning away from sin. It, it's, it's, repentance is, it is a change of mind. But it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. You change your mind about who Jesus is and you put your trust in him. But repentance is also turning away from sin and turning to Christ Jesus. Some people would say that repentance is just a change of mind about Jesus. But it's much, the New Testament testifies it's much more than that. It's a, it's a turning away from the old life to the new life. It's, 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 it's putting to death the old man, and embracing the new life where you're led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is on the throne. Verse 3, he says, here it is. Here, look at verse 3. He says, for you have died. So it's the first four words of, the, of verse 3 in the NASB, for you have died. The Christian life is about dying to ourselves. It's about dying to self-will, our own ambitions, our own ego. It's about dying to our pride. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's about putting ourselves down and exalting Christ and making him the center. So when people see us, they see Jesus. They see our Lord. They see our Savior and not necessarily us. And he says in verse 3, I love this statement here. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful statement. What a beautiful statement. I studied that so much this week. I was like, where do, where do, I, where do, I, where do I go with this? He says, your life, your life now that you're a Christian is hidden with Christ in God. It's like you're in his shadow. You're under his wing. This means here, when it says your life is hidden with Christ, it means your life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. 
Your life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In other words, he is the center. He is the center of your emotions. He is the center of your life. He's the center of your thoughts. He is the one that you choose to please. He is the one that you aim to please. He is the one that you want to please. When people, your life is hidden with Christ. So it's like Christ is here and you're, you're hidden behind him. So it's, it's basically saying when people see you, they see your Lord and Savior by the way you live your life and the way you serve other people. I believe that's what he's saying here. And there's a reason. There's a goal. There's a treasure. Um, there's a treasure at the end that we're all aiming for and that we all have the promise of Scripture. Look at verse 4. This is where we're going, guys. This is where you're going in life, being a new creation and serving the Lord. Verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. My friend, you're going to meet Christ. You're gonna, one day, you're going to get to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never seen Jesus with my physical eyes. Yeah, I've seen the artwork. I've seen the passion. I've read scripture. But I've never seen him physically. But one day, I will. One day, you will. All this serving the Lord and being a Christian and, and going to church and reading your Bible and praying and witness, one day, it's going to culminate. It's going to culminate where you're going to stand before the Lord of glory. You're going to stand before the King of kings. And we can't lose focus of that. Because that's, that's our eternal destination. That, that, that is our eternal destination. It will happen one or two ways. Either when you pass away in this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or number two, the rapture. The rapture of the church. When Christ returns to this earth to take his church home. At one of those two, you will get to see your Savior and your Lord face to face. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, verse 4, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You're going to meet Christ. This is the, the um, ultimate goal. This is the, the finish line. This is what I call the great prize. This is, this is the icing on the cake that we're going to spend eternity with him. So that's, the, that's verses 1 through 4. That's verses 1 through 4. Paul is establishing a truth that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have been raised with Christ. Okay? You have been raised with Christ, and you possess this new life. Now, as we go into verse 5, if you want to mark it off, verses 5 through 11, this is the old life. This is the old life you leave behind. But as we know, as a Christian... Sometimes we face that old man. He likes to rise up again, and we have to crucify him. Or we have to repent of those deeds. You know, and that's what grace is for. But in general, there's a leaving the old man behind. There's a new war in your life. And that war is, is fighting against the deeds of the flesh. And there's only one way you can do it. That's by the Holy Spirit. We need God's spirit working in our lives so we can combat it. So let's look at this old life you leave behind. Bring your attention to verse 5. He says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. This is the first of two lists. We're going to see another list of sins in a couple of verses later. But I like what the King James says. The King James Version says, Mortify. 
mortify the deeds of the flesh. Kill it. Put it to death. So let's look at them in verse 5. Uh, immorality, uh, the, the Greek word porneia, from which we, the word uh, uh, fornication, talking about sexual sin. God calls his people to sexual purity. And anything outside of, any, any sexual activity outside of a husband and wife in marriage is a sin. And we need to uphold that standard. We need to uphold that standard, and we need to teach that standard to our children. That you can abstain. You can wait. That's a special gift that you have for your future spouse. And you can't, you, it can't be preserved for that future spouse. Because it's a special gift, and it's obeying the Lord. And then he says, uh, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity. Impurity, this is uh, filthy thoughts. This is lust. Passion and evil desire. Um, that's, you, you're, we're driven by the works of the flesh. We're, we're driven and it consumes us. When it talks about passion and evil desire, that's our emotion, that's our hearts wanting to go after, wanting to go after those deeds of the flesh, wanting to go after those carnal things. And then he says, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Some of your versions say uh, covetousness. He says, which amounts to idolatry. My friend, this morning, this is the enemy of your soul. This is the enemy of your Christian life. This is your, the enemy that will, that will destroy your walk with Christ. When we let the deeds of the flesh reign. These are the enemies. These are the enemies of the soul that Satan will use to tempt Christians. Christians can fall prey to sin. Christians do fall by by Satan dangling these type of sins in front of them, but they will wreck your life. They will wreck your life. We have two choices in life: we can kill it. Or he can kill us. I like to say, we either slay the dragon or the dragon's going to slay us. we got to do whatever it takes. It says, the King James Version says, mortify the flesh. Put it to death. But how do you do that? How do you do that? Because I don't, I don't want you to go off in this legalistic mindset thinking, oh gosh, i gotta, I, I, I got to do something about this deep-rooted passion I have. This deep-rooted sin. My friend, you can't do it. You need heart surgery. You need a heart surgeon to come in and work on your heart. And that surgeon's name is the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're struggling with that sin, if that's a deed in the flesh that you're wrestling with, take it to God in prayer. Take it to God in prayer and and repent. Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm struggling in this area of my life. Help me, Lord. Holy Spirit, come down. Do surgery. Do surgery on my heart. Help remove the desire. Help bring me to my senses. So number one, you need, we, need, we need surgery by the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't put the ax to these in our own strength. It takes a supernatural power from above. The second way we kill these sins is we renew our mind. We renew our mind. How do we renew our minds? By doing what we're doing right now. Reading our Bible, studying our Bible, 
and we renew our minds daily. You know, the battlefield is the mind. You ever notice that? I mean, as a pastor, I know it. The battlefield is in the mind. The battlefield is in the mind, and that battle is going to continue until Christ returns. And in order to win that battle in the mind, we got to renew our mind, and we renew our mind by spending time in Scripture. I tell people all the time, you know, I don't care if it's 10 minutes or three hours or whatever, just carve a certain amount of your time of your day out and spend some time in the Word. Because when you do that, you're recalibrating your mind. You're renewing your mind, and it will help you in the fight against the flesh. Because there's no man and there's no woman who can say they're above temptation. Every single person can be tempted by these deeds of the flesh. But God has given us tools. God has given us tools. And the third way, number one, to, to kill these is you need heart surgery by the Holy Spirit. Number two is you have, your mind's got to be renewed with the Scripture. And number three, you've got to have discipline. You've got you to have discipline. And what I mean by that is you've got to remove the source of the temptation. Do whatever it takes. What was the movie with Kirk Cameron? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where he's, the computer screen comes up and there's this image saying, click here, click here. It was a, it was a, it was a pornography website. And he was looking at it. He was like, and you can see the struggle. He was wanting to go for it. Was, was it fireproof? Thank you, thank you. He was going for it. He's like, ugh, he's wrestling. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> the next clip of the scene you see him coming out the house and taking his computer and smashing it. And the old, the old neighbor next door is looking at him like he's crazy. Kirk was exercising discipline. You know what? If this computer is going to cause me to sin, I'm going to get rid of it. You know, if the computer causes you to sin, you need to put some blocks on it. You need to put some software on it that will block those websites. If that don't work, then get rid of the computer. Do whatever it takes. But slay the dragon. Slay the dragon or the dragon will slay you. But we leave these old things behind. And we, there are times in, in the Christian life where we, we find ourselves wrestling with these again. You know, and, and they, they, they stick their ugly head up. And you know what God gives us for that? He gives us grace. And he says, repent. Bring it to my throne of grace. Let me forgive you. Turn away from it. And let me restore you. And God will do that. Amen? Amen. Verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. My friend, fallen man is, stores up wrath. That's what the scripture teaches. Fallen man stores up wrath by what? By his sin and rebellion. Before I came to Christ, I was building up an account. By, by, my, by my rebellious heart, and my stubborn heart, and not wanting to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, do things my way, God was holding me accountable for my sin. And the wrath of God was pointed at me. Listen to Romans 2.5. Romans 2.5, Paul says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is one of the reasons if not the main reason, Jesus died on the cross. Because God's wrath, because of our sinfulness and his holiness, his wrath was coming at us. But then when Jesus died on the cross and he made that statement, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
He was taking on God's wrath so it wouldn't come on us. We leave it behind. There's, there's nothing in the past that's worth anything before we came to Christ. Verse 8. Verse 8, here's the second list. The second list, these, these are, um, I, I call them sins of the heart, sins of emotions, sins of speech. It's, it's kind of like our inner workings in our heart. But look at verse 8. He says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. The first thing here in verse 8 and 9 is he says in verse 8, he says, he says put them aside. And then in verse 9, he says, since you laid aside. We clearly see in the New Testament a command to leave that old life behind, okay? That's very important. You know, you, when you come to Christ, you leave the old man and the old ways behind. Not to say you don't struggle, not to say there's some sanctification that needs to be worked out in your life and the Holy Spirit needs to do some works of grace and remove some things, but there's still there's, there's this leaving the old man behind. Uh, verse 8, he says, uh, anger and wrath, that deals with our temper. That deals with our temper. And that's one of the things, you know, the, that it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God, is that anger and that wrath and that just outright meanness. It's not part of the Christian life. It's part of the old man, the temper. Then he says malice. You know what malice is? Malice is a desire to injure someone. I mean, this is serious anger here. Now, this ain't getting upset with your kids and hollering at them and, 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 and beating them. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's, 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 that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, I hate you, that type of thought, that type of, of statement. That is of the old man malice, desire to injure someone. Then he says in verse 8, slander. You know, this is, this is blasphemy. This is speaking evil uh, about people, uh, about things. It's not, it's not true. And then he says, an abusive speech. Abusive speech can be um, foul language. You know, our, our mouth, the things that come out of our mouth are a, a picture, if you, would, if you want to call it, of what's on the inside. You know, our, out, of the of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? It speaks. And so that's, that's a picture. So when we got bad things coming out of our mouth, what does it say? We need, we, need some, we need to work on our heart. We need to work on our heart. We need to get on that operating table and say, Holy Spirit, please help me in this area. And he'll show you grace. He'll forgive you. And he will help you move out of that into this new life to where the things that you speak build up. The things that you speak um, edify people. The things that you speak encourage people. Amen? Amen. And then he says in verse 9, he, he says, hey, don't violate the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment is you shall not lie. He says, do not lie to one another. Here it is. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now, it's important to note that there's three stages of the Christian life. There's justification. That's when you come to Christ. When you come to Christ and, and you put your trust in him, you are justified, completely saved through and through. But then your life, 
you're working out what we call sanctification, where the Lord is working in your life. And, that's, and these are the things he's working on. He's working on our attitude, our actions, the things we say, the things we do. You know, it's not you get saved and, oh, you're perfect. It's, it's an ongoing growth where, where you're moving from unholiness to holiness. And in verse 10, he says, in half, here it is, it's going from the old man to the new man, verse 10, and, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal, verse 11, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Basically what Paul is saying here is there's one standard. There's not a standard for the Christians in, in Italy and a standard for the Christians in America or South America. It's one body, one body of believers on the earth. And God has one standard for all believers. That's why you should be able to go to another country, go to a church, and fit right in. Why? Because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we got, we got a few little variances in, in different churches. Some are more Pentecostal, some are more Reformed, some are Baptistic, Baptist, some are Presbyterian, but we're one body. We're one body, and it's one standard, and it's the Bible, no matter what church you go to. The Bible is the final authority and the final standard for all practices, for all beliefs, for everything we do in the body of Christ. So, let's look at, that, that was the old life. We leave it behind. We leave it behind. Look at verses 12 through 17. 12 through 17, this is the good part. The new life you embrace. This is the new life you embrace. And I want to say as, as, as we go into this list in verses 12 through 17, that please remember this, if anything, as we go through these. The Holy Spirit does this work in your life. Okay? We're not like a tree trying to produce fruit. And, uh, boop, boop. It's not like that. We have to grow in our relationship with the Lord and, and let the Holy Spirit grow and produce fruit. So these are things that you meditate on these passages. You feel God's word in your mind as you meditate on these passages. And you pray. And you say, Lord, help me grow in this area. Let, let me manifest this fruit. Let this be evidence in my life to the world around me. So let's look at it. Verses 12, verse 12 of Colossians 3. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. i got to stop right there real quick because there's, there's, there's some nuggets right there. My friend, if you're a believer in Christ, you are chosen. Do you know that? You are chosen. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. What a beautiful doctrine to know that your salvation does not rest in you, but it rests in the sovereignty of God. He chose you. What a beautiful, what a beautiful truth. Holy. What does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart, to be set aside. How did he make you holy? Did he make you holy by your actions or by your deeds? He made you holy by the blood of Christ. He made you holy by the blood of Christ. And beloved, my friend, 
God loves you. God loves the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What a beautiful truth that we're chosen, we're holy, and we're loved by God. Now, here it is. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is one of the the works of the Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit produces in us compassion. Compassion. We need to have compassion. In other words, when we see somebody doing something wrong, we we don't drop the gavel on them or judge them. Say, you evil, wicked little sinner, you, how dare you? No, that's not compassion. We go to them and we show them mercy. And we point them to the truth. And we do it in a loving way. We do it in a loving way and not in some harsh, mean, holier-than-thou way. We have a heart of, of kindness. How, how, do you, how do you like to be around kind people? I like to be around kind people. But to, 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 to show the, the kindness of God, to let God's kindness flow through us. Humility. Humility basically means we don't, we don't think more of ourselves than what we are. Matter of fact, we, we consider ourselves as nothing, and we consider Christ as everything. But we don't think that we're God's answer to everything, but Jesus is the answer. Then we have a heart of, uh, of gentleness and patience. Well, that's a tough one there. Patience. We get, that's one of the fruits that the Lord produces in our life, is having patience. And we need it. We need to have patience with our friends, with our family, with our children. I mean, I think about God and his patience. He was patient with me for a long time. He could have struck me down because I was an evil little rascal. But he showed patience in waiting for me to repent and put his trust in him. And so all we do is that patience that God shows us, we turn around and we show it to other people. We show it to other people. We want people to operate on our standard and our timeline, and we can't do that. We just got to be faithful to the truth when it comes to discipling people, to witnessing people, and be patient. God is at work, whether you see it or not. But he gives us these things. Verse 13, he says, uh, bearing with one another. You know, when I, when I see this phrase, I think of um, people helping people in difficult times. You know, life throws us a curveball at times. Things happen. Tragedy strikes. But as the body of Christ, when we see people hurting or falling, or we need to surround them and we need to bear, we need to be bear, we need to bear with one another at whatever difficulty they're going through and help them. That's the, that's the sign of this new life in Christ, is we're here to help each other. And I love verse 13, the last two-thirds of it. He says, And forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. This is a huge one. In this new life that we're in in Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to, you ready for this? Forgive. Forgive. And, just, and let it go. And just let it go. I, I, I know people who, who struggle with this. I look back to times in my life where there's things I could have held on to for a long time. Who was it hurting? Me. I was holding on to it in my bitter anger and all the things that happened to me. 
But what I, when I became a Christian and a follower of Christ and I got into the word and I started understanding this, I'm like, oh, okay, I got to forgive. I got to forgive. Doesn't mean you forget. You know, we don't forget things that happen. Doesn't mean we don't put up barriers and protective boundaries. But at the end of the day, as a follower of Christ, we need to forgive. We need to be, we need to be a forgiving people because we have been forgiven by God. And he says in there, uh, the, the very end of verse 13, he puts this, he puts this uh, caveat in there. He says, just as the Lord also forgave you. So when I'm struggling with to forgive someone, I think about God's forgiveness to me. I'm like, oh, you're forgiven, brother, and praise God. You are forgiven because I understand how much God has forgiven me. Verse 14, this new life, again, that the, that the, the Lord works in us that the Spirit works in our lives. Verse 14, he says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Who, who, do, we, who do we, this love that the Spirit puts into our lives and gives us, who is this love for? Well, number one is for God. The Spirit working in our hearts, giving us this new life. He gives us a love and a devotion to of emotional love where we say, Abba, Father, and we love you, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. He puts a love in our lives for each other. He, he puts a love um, for our family members. He puts a love for, um, well, we love our family from the, the moment we came into this world, but he, he puts a love in our hearts for each other within the body of Christ. And ultimately, this, this agape love, he, he gives us a love for the world. He gives us a love for the world, for the people out there that are broken by sin, that are fallen, that don't have their life together, that everything's a train wreck. You know, we're not judgmental towards them, but we love them with the love of Christ. We want to help them experience that love. And then, and then, and, and then he says, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's, what bond, that's, that's one of the bonding agents. That's one of the glues within the body of Christ is that within our fellowship, within our church, that we love one another and that love cares for each other and, and it, it goes outside the box and, and that love manifests itself in, in helping people in, in life. Verse 15, in this new life, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Two things here in verse 15. One is, he gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us peace. This, the Spirit of the Lord gives us peace in the midst of the storm. What did Jesus promise in this life? Tribulation, hard times, difficulty, and you're going to experience it in life. But when you do, you have a Father in heaven you can go to. You have the Lord Jesus Christ you can go to. And in the middle of that storm, you can experience his peace. That, the word peace means uh, tranquility of soul. So even in the storm, there's a place to go where the Spirit will give us peace. And then he says at the end of verse 15, he says, and be thankful. Be thankful for what? Be thankful for that God is in your life. Be thankful that he has saved you. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for your work. Be thankful for your life. You know, be thankful for all the good things that the Father has given you. 
That's what the Spirit does. Before we come to Christ, we're just mad, angry, just the us against the world type mentality. But when we come to Christ, we become thankful people because our eyes are open spiritually and we're like, oh Lord, you are awesome. You are great. And you start becoming thankful. One of the signs, one of the, one of the evidences that the Lord is working in your life, he, he makes us thankful. Uh, verse 16, there's a game changer in here. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The very first part of that verse in verse 16 where he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. This is a game changer, guys. For many Christians, this is the difference between victory and defeat. You know, we draw strength when we get into God's word and we believe the promises of God. But when we get away from the Bible, it's like you begin to lose the battle. You begin to lose hope. You begin to lose faith. But if we renew our minds in Scripture and we continue in the Word of God, I believe it's the path to victory. I believe, I believe it's the path to victory. When, 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 we, when we stay the course in the storm and we stay in the Scriptures, he says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That word dwell means to live in, to be inside, to be full, to be abundant, to be, uh, to be overflowing. That's what we do with the Bible. That's why he's giving you your Bible, so you can renew your mind and you can be filled up so the word of Christ can richly dwell within you. And then he says, uh, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, worship is important. You know, worship is important. Whether you worship it in church, so I'm talking about singing songs and, and, and making melodies in your heart to the Lord. But it's also, you know, you don't have to wait till church. You can do it at home. Put on, put on your favorite Christian worship music and worship the Lord when you're going down the road and singing songs and singing hymns and singing praises to the Lord. But that's powerful. It, 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 it's, it, it, uh, it teaches us. It admonishes us. I find myself in life a lot of times preaching the gospel to myself. In, in, in my alone time, quoting scripture to myself, singing songs to myself. Because sometimes I'm just not in the mood. Sometimes I'm depressed. Sometimes I go through difficult times. And then I'm reminded of scriptures like this right here. And I start singing a song. I start quoting scripture. I start saying, you know what? I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. And I start, I start quoting scripture to myself, and it pulls me out of the pit. It encourages me. It admonishes me. And then finally, verse 17. Uh, this is what the Lord wants to do in your life. This is, this is where he wants to take us. He says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, to God the Father. My friend, this is our aim, this is our goal, and this is our mission. And as long as you're a part of Calvary Chapel Irma, this is the direction I'm going to steer you in. And that is this, 
that everything that we say and do, we honor Jesus Christ and that we glorify him and that we find our joy in him and our excitement in him and that, and that we're, we're, we're blessed in him. And, you know, it's not about the name Calvary Chapel. It's about the name of Jesus. And it's, it's about uh, me teaching the word and building you guys up so that you go out into this world and you walk in that victory and that you walk in that truth. And, and that the Lord, not David, I can't control your heart. You know, that's between you and God. But as I teach the word, my prayer is that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just works in your life and takes you completely out of the old life and into this new life where we live. Is this not the kind of people you want to be around? Amen. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is the new man. Going back to our opening verse, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't crossed that line. Maybe you're still in the old, and you need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is how simple it is to go from the old life to the new life. To say, God, I'm done with this old life. I'm done with this old way of thinking, this old way of living and I'm going to turn to you, Lord Jesus. That's called repentance, where you turn from sin and you turn to Christ and you receive him as your Lord and Savior. It's so simple. It won't always be easy as a Christian because, you know, even after you become a Christian, there's still a fight, there's still a struggle, but God will give you the tools. But it starts by you in inviting him into your life and receiving him as your Lord and Savior. That is the pathway to the new life, and that is the exit strategy from the old life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this new life we have in Christ. Lord, I pray from this teaching from, from Scripture this morning that, Lord, you'll begin to stir within the body a hunger and a passion to move closer to you, God. Lord, let your, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, let it, let it be done in your people. Let it be done in my life, our life. Lord, the, the old deeds of the flesh, the old way of thinking, let us lay them down and let our lives focus on you, the, the author and perfecter of our faith who went to Calvary, who rose from the grave, and who was at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray that you just give us this morning a special awareness of your Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives, dwelling in our hearts. And help us to understand that it's by your Spirit, it's by that heart surgery that you remove things Lord, let us bring those things to your throne of grace this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And with the prophet Zechariah, we agree with him, not by might, not by our own power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Let that change, let a transformation take place in us.
In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.